Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, tightening the leash, fines for intact animals. What if they're not microchipped? What if people are bad behaving? We're going to talk about that and so much more this week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we're going to be talking about all of the increasing regulations and protections and laws surrounding animals, whether it is banning certain breeds from airlines or whether or not you can walk your dog in your local park. We're going to talk about those. What is our role in it? What should we be doing? And what's our responsibility? As always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, you really started this conversation with us. You started saying, you know, hey, listen, I'm seeing this wave of regulation around animals, whether it's service animals, whether it's your own pet, but I'm seeing this trend in the larger world. Explain to our listeners what you were talking to us about. Yeah, so, you know, I came across this article um, that that came out the other day that, that talked about increased fees for residents of um, Fort Worth, Texas, and that basically, if you don't want to microchip your pet to serve as their city license, then you have to pay an increased fine um, associated with a lack of microchipping for your pet. And I just started to think about, I wanted to hear your guys' opinion and our reader's opinion on all of the regulation that we have now is increased fees over, you know, if your dog is not spayed or neutered, how many pets you can have. And then, you know, um, you've got to have certain vaccines in certain increments. And there's so much regulation going on. And uh, is it helping? Is it harming? What's it doing? What do you guys think about it? Right. And Cindy, one of the things that this uh, legislation was hoping to accomplish was easier, easier way to recover animals that were lost. So basically, the argument was made that if the animal is microchipped, then it requires less time and effort on behalf of the county or city employees to actually recover house and take care of that animal. So that, you know, so I, I like the intent of it. But like Becky says, the other side of that equation is you got to do it. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I I'm intrigued by this idea of, of increased regulation. Um, I, as you guys know, lived in an area like Northern Virginia where I think we had more rules and more regulations and regarding animals. And now living out in the Midwest, I feel like in a lot of ways we have a lot less of them. And I definitely see some of the impacts of that. I think we do have a lot more animals roaming free because the leash laws are not so well enforced because, you know, it's just not the norm. It's just not the standard. And I do think some of those regulations have the benefit of promoting certain standards that that are good for pets in general. But but it is a really it is interesting and it does seem a little strange to be kind of making what are kind of medical decisions for people. Right. And I think all of this goes back. I mean, certainly I, I remember early in my career, you know, 30 years ago or so, and certainly as a, as a young student in college, you know, when the move towards mandatory spay neuter started popping up and basically cities and municipalities all across the country were playing this game. They said, OK, look, uh, you have to license your dog or cat. If your dog or cat is spayed or neutered, then it's ten dollars. If your dog or cat is not spayed or neutered, it's $100. And obviously, it was to incentivize 
I think, responsible breeding, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where it started. And and honestly, there was really no objection from the veterinary community at that time. Becky, fast forward today, we're talking about microchipping. What's our role responsibility like with these types of issues? I know. And that's, I guess, what I'm asking you guys. Because for me, I think, <laughs> obviously, microchipping is a great idea, right? The work that we do with the ASPCA, one of the things we know is after hurricanes, after Katrina, I believe after Katrina, like less than 50% or or more of dogs were actually reunited with their owners and at the end of the day because of all of the catastrophic damage that was done. So many people didn't ever actually even come back. Um, and so we know that microchipping reunites. It's a wonderful thing. It's a smart thing. And, and so I guess I don't know why I would be opposed to it when I'm so pro microchip, but I guess I start to get a little bit frustrated because I don't see the benefit necessarily... Um, unless they have a huge lost pet problem in Fort Worth, and then maybe we need to start looking at different <laughs> ordinances to really why is this problem happening so much that you need to re- actually require this sort of big brother thing. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. In in my town, I regularly will be out walking my dog. It's at least every other week that there is some dog roaming free. And I have my local animal control on speed dial because it's such <laughs> a common issue. Um, and, and it's it's tough. So I, I definitely wonder if they're having a, a similar problem, especially in an area that's even warmer than than we have it here. Um, one concern I have is, you know, we're we're seeing concerns regarding chronic inflammation, say in cats, with uh, repeated injections, um, with you know long lasting steroid injections. And so while we certainly haven't made a direct connection between microchipping and any kind of injection site sarcomas at this point. I, I would be concerned about the fact that maybe we don't have a complete answer there and then legislating something that may in fact be a health risk. And and I think that's a risk with any of these laws. And, and that's one of the reasons I think you don't see the veterinary community joining in and, and leading the charge here. Yeah, and I guess that's one thing that I really kind of wonder is who's overseeing these. So with this particular law in Fort Worth, um, there are fines associated with noncompliance, but it happens to be that if a person does have a violation, it's a first-time violation, they can take a class um, to learn rather than pay this fine. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of like, who wrote this class? What does this class cover? How does this benefit them? So, So like you said, where is the veterinary community being included in this to make sure that this is a good recommendation and that the opportunity to educate the public is not wasted. And and how, you mm. know, are our listeners out there being involved and getting involved with these changes? I'd love to hear because I think we've got a role here. Yeah. And I, and it's reminding me of Mar- Margie Shirk's episode with us where she talked about how if we're not involved at the beginning, if we're not leading the charge, then sometimes people turn back around and, and look at the veterinary community and say, hey, where were you? Why weren't you looking out for pets in, in this right, initiative? Right. Yeah, it's a really good point. And so for, for me, I, I'm I'm sort of torn on this. Like, I think it's, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it could help save taxpayer dollars, you know, especially with human resource cost of recovering and housing and, and returning animals. So I like all of that. The other part of me is, is sort of like with Cindy, it's like, wait, could there be an unintended health consequence that we aren't aware of? You know, do we require this? And then, of course, the you, you fall back and say, well, look, it is a choice, right? I mean, they can just pay the fine or pay the higher mm-hmm. rent 
registration fee or whatever. So, you know, it's ultimately up to the owner. I think a lot of this still is rooted back in the tort laws, the property laws, the aspect that an animal is no different than your car or a chair. And so, you know, registration and what you can do and don't do, you know, I think it gets very confusing from a legal standpoint. But Becky, let's talk a little bit more about this bigger wave that you were referring to. And and that, of course, leads us to the recent Delta story where they are breeding the, I'm sorry, banning the quote unquote pit bull breeds right? I mean, so you're seeing this push again against regulation, legislation, whatever you want to call that rules. What, what do you think that signals to the industry at large? I mean, whether it's a, a, a airline or a restaurant or, you know, a dog park. I think, you know, from what I've seen within the community is we think <laughs> we get mad and push back pretty hard. Um, we are all, it seems to be mostly big fans of the bully breeds and really strongly mm. against breed banning and, right. and breed ban legislation across the board you know it it makes me fearful for for animals it makes me fearful for shelter dogs it makes me fearful for longevity when we start imposing heavy Mm -hmm. fines and regulations and banning breeds altogether i think about people taking their dogs in cars and dropping them off in the middle of nowhere because they have to move into an apartment that doesn't take you know, their dogs breed. And no, of course, that's not an excuse for them to do that. But what are the things that are driving people to that? We've had conversations about the cost of veterinary care and how we can help people not get driven to those parts. But are these breed bans and are these regulations and is this legislation making it harder to own pets and and in turn contributing to a problem that's already really big? And Cindy, I'd like to get your take on this. So We've seen, and certainly in my career, the last 25, 30 years, a real acceptance of animals, pets, you know, in in society. So Mm -hmm. you see them at restaurants, see them on airplanes, trains, you know, wherever. Has this access, this acceptance now led to some backlash in the form of, you know, registrations and laws and, and things like that, you know, or is it simply a byproduct of, you got more numbers. We got to make sure that we're controlling things. Yeah, no. And I think it is a matter of the fact that there wasn't necessarily a problem with this in the past. And now that there are more people who have more pets, they're treating them more like kids. They're wanting to bring them more places with them, especially with the fact that people, I think, are taking advantage of the you know support animal and service dog system. Um, I think there is a bit of a backlash that says, hey, wait a minute. You know, it's it's great that you want your animal to be with you, but there are rights that other people have. There are, as Becky pointed out so well, last week. There are fears that other people have of dogs. There are people who have allergies to dogs. And there needs to be a balance here as well, especially if it's something that you're just doing for your own convenience or comfort. Um, so I do think there there is a balance there. And I think there are other laws that it, we could all get behind that we're, we're all in agreement about. Um, I definitely had a friend who moved recently and went into an apartment complex and had to submit her dog's DNA for the poop checks to make yeah, sure that yeah. her dog it was never in violation of of leaving poops behind. So yeah. I, I I'll be honest, that's one of my biggest pet peeves, no pun intended or pun intended. <laughs> um, Your poop just because it's such a, a health hazard, especially with having a baby at home. So right. so which of those laws do you guys think are a good idea and, and that you do support? 
Well, you know, and, and Cindy, I'm glad you brought up that because the the entire, you know, industry around being able to identify your poop actually is is helpful because like you said, these are public mm. health concerns and it only takes like one bad pooper in your neighborhood to wreck it for all the really good, responsible dog owners. Yeah. And, you know, as I was telling you guys before we started recording, just this morning, you know, it's 4th of July weekend here at the beach. So there's tourists down. You know, I'm out for my paddle workout. I come back and, you know, I'm 100, 200 yards off the shore. And there's a lady with a large golden retriever type of dog. And he's just pooping away, you know. And so you're thinking, okay, this is cool. So I'm just paddling and kind of watching, you know, the scene playing out. I'm I'm actually, you know, lining up for for where I'm going to come back in. And the lady just walks off, right? And so now there's a pile of poop there right at the tide line. And I'm sure it'll be washed away, right? And all that'll be gone. But the reality is it's going to upset so many people. And what they're going to say, especially if they're not dog lovers, they're going to be like, these dogs are ruining the beach for everybody. So that's what then leads to dog bans, you know, Mm -hmm. rules and regulations and all this stuff. And, you know, so if you're listening today, this is, I I guess, what I want to ask you and you guys hit us up on social media. What do you do in those situations? Now, you know, I I don't know what I would have done if I'd been on land. My guess is, and as I have done in the past and greatly embarrassed my children over the years, you know, as I would go up to those people and say, you know, hey, you need to go pick up your dog's poo. I had a guy threaten me years ago in front of my kids, which was really bizarre. But, um, you know, what what should we do? You know, again, I'd love to hear you guys hit me up on social media. Yeah. And I, I've definitely been in the position. I've been walking my son in the stroller and pointed out to a guy like, hey, I think you forgot something. He's right, like, what, right. what did I forget? And I'm like, well, your dog's poop back there. And he's like, oh, yeah, they do that. And I'm like, well, it's a public <laughs> health hazard. And, you know, it can cause little kids like this to get infected with parasites. It can stay there for up to three to five years. And uh, I can give you some poop bags if you want. And he's like, oh, no, I can get some. I'm like, yep. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, it, and my husband cringes, too. But I, I hate to say it, but if it's not if it's somebody's place, it's I, I think our place to be the ones to say something. Absolutely. And this is what leads to these bans and registration requirements, list stuff, right? Because what we what we realize is you can't cure stupid. So we at least got to penalize you for it. Right. So like this guy who's leaving, leaving the poop around, you know, you should be accountable, responsible. And like your friend who's moving into the new, new apartment complex is saying, hey, if you do it, we're going to find out and you're going to be fined or somehow held responsible. Well, and of course, you know, we had the podcast a, a few months back with Dr. Jill Kirsch and we talked about hoarding. And we know that by putting some of these laws and regulations in place, it gives them a charge against people to say, you know, you're committing a crime and this is for the protection and welfare for, for all, all and, and most importantly, the animals. So there's, there's definitely important ordinances out there. And, you know, for me, it's one of the most broken ones, I guess, that I find to be the most important is leash laws. And, you know, for me, I get super annoyed at people who break leash laws and and yell as their dog is charging my reactive dog. Uh, no, my dog is friendly. And I'm like, Oh, oh, super because my dog is not. And because she is, one of these quote-unquote bully breeds, I am very self-conscious of her creating any kind of bad name for the breed in having her leash reactivity. In addition, when we're training service dogs and I'm walking through public and walking through society training a dog, having a dog come off leash is a great teachable moment for a service dog, but something we really just 
just don't need to. And when you're talking about some of these really expensive dogs, um, not all dogs get along, even if your dog is great. And, and it just mm -hmm. creates a really bad situation. So for me, um, I, I think I really go crazy about the leash laws and, and the inability to follow and also seems to be to enforce. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you, this is where people get confused about leash laws and the necessity and importance of them. You guys know I'm a longtime, you know, ultra endurance athlete. So I spent a lot of time running mm -hmm. and and I've had this happen more than once. But one time several years ago, this actually resulted in an injury of, to me. So basically, I'm running on the sidewalk. Right. And so typically when I will see people walking their dogs in the distance, I'll then either go to the other side if possible or go into the street or, you know, somewhere on the berm. You know, I, I will do something to, to kind of stay out of the way. Hey, you know, you guys, guys walk your dog, whatever. So one morning, early morning, I'm running and I see this lady with her dog and I start to make my way over to the road and suddenly the dog is running toward me, right? Oh <laughs> and, 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 right and, and I'm running and the dog is running and your reaction time is pretty compressed, right? And so yeah. she's like, he's fine, he's fine. She's yelling at me <laughs> oh and the dog gosh. was fine. It's a Labrador retriever. But the bad news is the end result, the dog runs up to me as I am running, leaps onto me, right? Because he's like, hey, what you doing? And of course, that results in me tumbling, really getting some serious road rash because I mean, I hit the asphalt, just messed up my hands, but my knees were bloodied, right? And the lady's like, what are you doing? And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> I'm, wait, on the so I'm on the ground, right? I've just been pummeled by your dog. It tripped me up. I could have screwed up a joint, been messed up for life. And you're asking me, what's my problem? What, oh, why, that, what did I do to your dog? That's my mind is yeah, that often yeah. people will be breaking a leash law, but they will be completely unapologetic about it. It's like they almost don't even realize that they're doing anything wrong. Right. It was my fault somehow, you know, it's like somehow because, you know, obviously in the tumble, the dog is rolling, I'm rolling or whatever. And it's like, what are you doing? It's like, uh, lady, you're breaking so many rules. And honestly, you know, I, I was super cool about it. And I was like, hey, you know, you, you got to have your dog on a leash. She goes, he's a friendly dog. He didn't do anything. You ran right into my dog. It's like, yeah, that's that's me. That's what I do. That's why I'm in the road and you're on the sidewalk. But anyway, regardless, that's why we have to have rules. We can't cure stupid. Um, but uh, but again, have we gone too far? I mean, do, do requirements for microchipping, do requirements for, you know, certain breeds and DNA testing? Is that going a step too far? Well, and I think one theme we've kind of been hitting on is that when these rules seem to be tied to public health or to the health of our patients, clearly tied to the health of our patients, we feel pretty good about them and we feel right. pretty good about the ethics of them. I think when it comes to breed specific legislation or places where the science isn't necessarily clear about whether or not it's completely safe, we start feeling a little bit funny about it. Yeah. And, you know, I ha I hate to break it down and sound, you know, so simplistic, but, you know, if you can't have nice things, you, you know, if you break them, you don't get nice <laughs> things, you know, like yeah. it just comes down to that. And so the jerk who says that dogs poop and that's what they do and then it's just going to stay yeah. there, that's the jerk who makes you have to have your DNA submitted to, to your housing complex. Right. So when we ask, are these going too far? Like, yes, they're absolutely going too far, but they're going too far because unfortunately, I think within society, like we have to go that far to get the people who are that far behind 
behind to be even caught up with what just seems to be human decency. So, you know, to, to avoid having poop all over your apartment complex, to avoid having dogs running all amok, you know, to, to avoid people dumping their dogs out in, in the country, you know, is this really why we're asking for microchips? Because we've, we can't, we, like you said, we can't fix stupid, so we've got to regulate it. Right. And this is where, you know, Margie's comments were really prescient, I think, because, Mm -hmm. you know, what are those areas that our profession should be leading, right? Should we be more vocal on certain things, you know, and I don't know what those things are necessarily, but, you know, that's what's our responsibility. Yeah, I agree. Is it not just, you know, should we be more vocal, but how can we be more vocal? How Mm -hmm. can we get more involved? Like, I wouldn't even know right now how to go about other than just marching down to City Hall which in writing letters and making calls and, and doing the research, which I think is what we probably need to do. But to to find out how do we get more involved with this. But one thing I know that frustrates me for this is there's back end education, right? It's reactive, mm-hmm. not proactive. To avoid your fine, you can come get education about why you got fined. But how, how can we get on the right. forefront of this to be saying this is why we're doing it, this is why it's important and educating on the forefront? Well, it kind of reminds me of the intent behind me doing the hot car video, you know, yeah. back several years ago. And and basically, I was very frustrated. Um, there were there was current at that time there were no rules and regulations and protections in the state of North Carolina regarding you leaving your dog or cat or whatever in a car. I mean, that just wasn't on the books. And so mm-hmm. I was trying to raise awareness. So I think that if you're listening today, what are those areas that you can do? So so basically, that was then accompanied by a grassroots push towards some regulations. We didn't get everything we wanted, but we got some of what we wanted. And and of course, that video has helped many other states and municipalities pass a lot of different protections, in my opinion. You know, there's a lot of stuff happening around that video. That video is one way, you know, the cold dog house. Again, an issue yeah. that I don't like dogs being tethered out during extreme cold weather. And I, you know, so, so, and it, that helped with Pennsylvania. They use that as evidence in that case to get that, that there's a laws passed there. So, Becky and Cindy, what I mean, what are the ways like 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 Becky was just referring to that we should be leading this message, you know, working with with legislatures or whatever? Yeah. And I think, Ernie, you make a great point, which is sometimes just putting resources out there that have our professional weight behind them can make a really big difference. One of my most commonly shared posts from Vet Changes World is a post on, you know, five reasons you should have your pet on a leash. And it points out that it's something that is for your pet safety, not just for the safety of other animals. So even if you have a friendly dog, you know, it's like having wearing your seatbelt. Even if you're a great driver, you never know what everybody else is going to be acting like. So you keep wearing your seatbelt so that you stay safe. I think you're exactly right. And and what I love about that is we need solution-based discussions, right? Yeah. There, It's so easy to say, this is a problem. This is this. This is that. We don't like this. We don't like that. But it's, are we bringing solutions to the table? And so what are the areas where we feel like people are, are, are messing up, where the legislation needs to be there? And then are we taking the time to write the legislators, write our government officials, mm-hmm. do the research, it's spending a little time in that area? I think, like you said, our professional backing's behind it. And hopefully we can motivate some people with this podcast to do just that. And we're not alone. I think we forget sometimes that as frustrated as we can get sometimes about other pet professionals, maybe giving advice that they shouldn't, that they can also sometimes be our allies in in moves like this to back us up. They do care about pets, too, and they do also have sometimes connections we don't have. So um, reaching out to those communities, I think, can be helpful. 
Yeah, it's a tricky one because like like I think we've all shared and I love this discussion and I, we definitely want to spark some change out there. Mm-hmm. But like look, I think we all agree that the sort of abuse and stretching of the definitions of emotional support dogs on airplanes and public spaces, you know, that's it's getting out of hand, right? And now we're seeing the backlash from Delta. They're saying, hey, if you are look like a pit bull breed, you're done. All right. So how can the profession, Becky, articulate that message or uh, as professionals, veterinary technicians and, and veterinarians, how can we say to the public, hey, you shouldn't do this. You know, if, if we want to save this for legitimate service dogs, like, do you have any idea how we can get some of those message around without, uh, you know, invoking the, the ire of the public, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really where the drop off comes. Like, like Dr. Cindy was brave enough and you talked about if you were on, on land, you probably would have said something, but much to the chagrin of your family members who most members of society won't say something. And it, and it comes down to that cliche as it is, see something, say something. And whether that's about, you know, safety or whether that's about just the decent thing to do is as human beings, we need to be able to communicate with each other in a non-confrontational yeah. way, but in, in such a way that says be responsible for yourself in your environment around you. And so can you find a way to either directly confront that person or, or, or report something that, that's happening that shouldn't be? So I think it just comes down to our ability as veterinary professionals to, to get in front of it. If we know a client is abusing a situation, to not allow it. I mean, I, I think I know I'm guilty as well of, of writing letters from the veterinary office that says this pit bull is a, a, a mix and not a pit bull, so it can live in an apartment. And and we do that because we love the breeds and we love the, the pets, but are we sending the message of these rules don't need to be followed? Right. Yeah, and I think that can, can get in the way. And I, I completely agree that we need to be able to have those civil conversations because you know, it, it's frustrating to have to, like, you don't want to, like, if you have a neighbor who doesn't have their dog on a leash, you don't want to sit there calling the cops and say, like, hey, my neighbor doesn't have their dog on a leash. Like, you want to have that conversation first about, like, hey, can I assume the best? Can I assume you need help? Can I offer that help? And I think that's that's where it starts, especially as veterinary professionals, is that we have some expertise to offer some help. You know, hey, we can escalate that if they don't want our help and yet they're still in violation of their pet safety and other safety. Um, but I think that's where it starts is with assuming the best and basic human decency. You make, you know, you make a really great point. I love that you say that assume the best, because I think, you know, coming from that education standpoint is how can I help educate you that this is not a great idea? Um, whether it's about, you know, making people aware of like, you know, we live coastally, the, the Mm -hmm. poop situation is actually a water contamination issue. It, It is absolutely a public health issue but for us if if animals are leaving poop around on the ground it's actually getting into our right. our water which is a huge problem mm. um so you know it comes down to maybe can we educate instead of just tell them i don't like what you're doing and it's because i exist and i don't like it is helping to educate and coming from the best mindset of here's why it's not a great idea and you might want to rethink the action that you're doing not i'm telling you what to do and i just do want to throw in Preferably no retractable leashes. <laughs> right, yes. no retractable. Yes, can we ban also. that? You know, if you yeah, want to ban pit bull awesome. breeds on a plane, let's just ban retractable leashes. Right, we yeah. are focusing Everywhere. on the wrong issues. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere. Yeah, I think we can all agree that retractable leashes are one of those things that universally should be addressed. But again, we want to hear from you. What do you think about? 
banning certain breeds of dogs, mandatory registration, mandatory spay-neuter, mandatory microchipping, mandatory DNA testing if you want to live in an apartment. I mean, these are the issues that we are confronting today. And while none of those directly impact or involve the veterinary profession, we do have a role, I think. So, you know, we, I'd like to hear from you guys. What are some of your suggestions on on what messages we should be telling the pet owning public and how can we be involved to actually help solve problems, as Becky is saying, instead of just being, you know, an echo chamber? When we talk to people, the other thing we can do to encourage them to change their behavior is to point out how it's beneficial to them or to their pet to change that behavior too. Again, we talked about having pets off leash. People think that it's for the benefit of other animals to have their pet on a leash. And so long as their pet's friendly, they're good to go. But if we show again that their pet is safer, if they take this recommended action, um, we can point out how good it is. We can point out that if they pick up their dog's poop, that means their dog's going to be safer in the future too. I, I think that also really resonates more with people. Um, it's not that they're being bad. They're looking out for their own pet, not just for everybody else. Right. It goes back to the seatbelt example that you used mm -hmm. earlier, Cindy. I mean, the seatbelt isn't going to help the other driver that you have a crash with. It's going to help you. And therefore, I buckle up every time. And we like to hear what you think about buckling up. What do you think about breed bans? What do you think about microchipping laws? What do you think are the issues that our profession should be confronting and that we should be leading the message on? We want to hear from you. What's the news in your neck of the wood? Are there any new regulations in your neighborhood that we should know about or that might be coming to our neighborhood soon? Feel free to share that kind of information with us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. We also love when you guys share pictures with us on Veterinary Viewfinder on Instagram, whether that's just cute pictures of your pet, you guys hanging out on the weekend, especially over Independence Day. Um, really anything. We just like knowing you guys are out there and that you're listening. Um, you can also let us know that you're listening by leaving us a review, especially on the iTunes store. We're especially excited to hear those. It helps us know what you guys love so much about the podcast so we can keep doing more of the stuff that you love. Um, one person was sharing with us that they work in research now so that listening to the podcast help them feel like they stay in touch with clinical veterinary medicine. So okay. we're, we're very, very happy that you're listening. Thank you so much. And while you're there leaving your review, don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Until next time, bye. Bye.